gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 47 for Friday, November 7th, 2014. Today, I would play the Inception button right now, but I think that's kind of unfair for the score to Interstellar. We're reviewing Interstellar, and it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Rom. Big sounds and big emotions. Outer space and Hans Zimmer and all of the things you would expect from a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, this movie is out there everywhere. It's big. It stars a whole lot of people. It involves Matthew McConaughey going to space. It is uh, kind of debatable what qualifies as a spoiler for this movie. We will have a spoiler section, but you may or may not choose to not to not believe. There are very early spoilers in this movie. The first few scenes include what some spoiler phobes would consider extreme spoilers. So if you want to go in pure, I wouldn't listen to any of this conversation. Wow. But I, didn't I think, think, by that, I I think, think let's set the definition about. of spoilers as anything that happens towards the end of the film, perhaps. Sure. Uh, we will try middle chunks to- might be spoilery, but anything that happens in the first act, I think we're going to be discussing here. Any particular uncredited cast members we won't be Exactly. Discussing. I've been told yeah. that is a major spoiler by uh, you, by in me. fact. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm pissed you told me about it. So anyway... Uh, Interstellar, it's set in a near future in which uh, humanity has pretty thoroughly wrecked the planet, even more so than we've done already. And even people who used to be NASA fighter pilots, like Matthew McConaughey's character, have become farmers because basically we have, we're have we just stuck eating corn because there's no food left. Um, it's kind of a – there's kind of some fascinating dystopian elements like it's such – most of the population has died off. So the Yankees are stuck playing like random ball games in Nebraska – and uh, everyone eats corn and everyone pretends that the, uh, the space race never happened because to, just to get people to focus on what's on Earth, I'm kind of unclear on that. But yeah, anyway. no, that's absolutely correct. They, they want people to concentrate on living, living on Earth and yeah, being good farmers. Yeah, they've killed imagination and they just want you to yeah. be good, docile. Care about farmer. the country. Yeah, something like that. Um, but as it turns out, NASA is still around, and they are starting a top-secret race to this black hole that's emerged on the outer rings of Saturn so that they can uh, possibly explore inhabitable worlds. Because it's taken as fact, and I don't know if this is a real scientific fact, that there are no inhabitable worlds for humans within kind of traveling distance of here. But this black hole – or no, sorry, wormhole uh, – makes it possible for them to travel through to it's it. It's probably so, true because we haven't really talked about – traveling to any of those planets in real life so that's true i'm guessing so, that's sound this is the fiction part of the science fiction uh so matthew mcconaughey joins in on this space mission along with a uh astronaut played by anne hathaway um wes bentley and david gaiasi who i think both of you guys interviewed so you can talk about him later if you want no to. i got off the david gaiasi i did not get uh, uh, i own that, that beat <laughs> i <laughs> Um, so, they, yeah. they were trading invites to the interstellar screening for David Gaiasi interviews. Let me just Gamergate bust down that door. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's some a fascinating inside baseball right That's there. not exactly how it was. Oh, down, but <laughs> yeah, okay. It's close enough. But uh, <laughs> uh, David Gaiasi, who played the interesting angle towards speaking with him, is that he played Skinny Prisoner in The Dark Knight Rises. And, yeah, uh, what was the rise to fame the, there? The lead roles in, in interstellar. He was in so Cloud was, Atlas. He, he was, was in Cloud. Atlas. He played this slave in Cloud Atlas, and he is a veteran of British television. But uh, clearly, Christopher Nolan has uh, rapidly ex- accelerated his career. Yeah, I mean, you've got a couple of Nolan regulars. You've got Anne Hathaway. You've got Michael Caine showing up. 
Um, wait, are those actually the only two? I felt like I started rattling these off before realizing maybe nobody else has worked with them before. I think that might be true. Anyway, um, everybody goes to space. They start talking about things like love and science and technology, and uh, they may or may not save the world. I keep going back and forth on my memories of this movie is kind of the thing where I walked out of it puzzled but entertained, and then the more I think about it, the more I feel myself moving far away from it. But I think, Patches, you're probably its biggest fan. Um, no, I would disagree. I think no, David no. is actually David is. definitely. Oh, I'm, I'm more in the middle, but skewing positive. But David is the champion here. Well, David, I think you're probably the person most people would not expect to uh, fall for a divisive movie. Or anything. <laughs> Ooh, no, I'm being fair. Uh, what did you love about Interstellar? Or what did you like about Interstellar? <laughs> what did you love? Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> the movie asks big questions, David. This is about yeah. life and the universe. I don't. Th- I don't think the movie Stuff. really asks that many questions at all, it big bl- or small. It to be honest, it out loud asks huge questions. Well, just because characters pose questions doesn't mean the movie. I was more joking them. as a segue uh, to your, I, what you like about. I this. think the movie, its theme, at least in my eyes, and I would of course, you know, not suggest that this is its own the only thing on its mind. And I would be open to hearing other interpretations as to what was going on. But for me, this movie movie was really about how uh, uh, the purpose of love and love is sort of a Darwinian concept and and that love is really, uh, if humanity is going to survive, whether it is um, on this planet or on another one, it will be because uh, not of self-preservation, but of love for others that motivates people to have that explorative instinct and and, uh, sort of colonize these new places. And I thought the movie was a was a really sort of beautiful crystallization of that idea, um, and I can say that broadly without getting into exactly how it goes about it. But really, the heart and soul of this movie, and this certainly not a spoiler, and I don't think is really uh, as much of an opinion, is is between uh, Matthew McConaughey's character and his daughter. Um, and fuck his son. Nobody gives a shit about his son. Yeah, really, nobody. Gives a shit about <laughs> oh, poor Tom. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, poor but Casey. and uh, uh, but yeah, and and I think that the once the movie takes off and it's really interesting how the film is uh I, i'm very annoyed by comments that were made on twitter today about like oh if, if m night Shyamalan or michael bay directed this movie critics would be hazing it and hitting all over it and I'm like, <laughs> that's because it wouldn't be as good thing to say <laughs> because it wouldn't be this like uh, I it can't wouldn't even. be this movie if it were directed it, exactly. by at all um, and but anyway this is this is a christopher nolan and christopher nolan is i think such an interesting filmmaker because he is baldly a auteur working with these huge budgets and what's interesting about interstellar in that sense is that for its first hour and change it it feels like christopher nolan movie is certainly in the plot mechanics but not necessarily in the uh narrative structure and, and the editing it, it feels a lot more linear than most of his films uh and then he finds a device once matthew mcconaughey matthew mcconaughey is in space that allows uh for him to sort of you know have these se- several simultaneous strands of narrative happening and, and do uh, parallel editing and all the well it starts fractaling even earlier than that you'd think they would go into space and have right. a kind of linear mission but no there's three planets they want to visit and they gotta like bounce <laughs> between them i'm like holy shit what is and going time on is different on all of those planets. yeah oh yeah and relativity but, just fucks know, this it, movie it is, up uh it, it is a christopher nolan movie in the sense that it is about a uh, middle-aged white man who feels guilty for something that has happened to uh, a woman in his life and now has to go on a suicide mission of sorts to try and forgive himself for that transgression and right this wrong. It is it is very much a Christopher Nolan's wheelhouse, but I, as somebody who loves to 
look at films through the lens of their maker. Uh, I'm intrigued by that. I do not see it as a negative. But I really think this movie has incredible, incredible experience. I mean, we all saw it in IMAX. Actually, Patrick yeah, and I did. Katie I saw did it not. In my, yeah, I did. Um, and I, I don't even know, as much as I took away from the film, I'm hesitant to even recommend that people see it at all, if not in IMAX. I mean, for me, so much of what galvanized all the thoughts that I had about it into – an experience that I could really take away from was the, the seeing it in 70 millimeter IMAX, these incredible space vistas, um, the imagery they come up with it. There's a, you know, a docking sequence, which is really, uh, yeah, the use of models, the use of models in this film really stands out. You know, we see so many CG spacecrafts at the movies these days, but it only takes a model to make everything feel tactile and, and, and real and just the, I, I you know, Nolan is and, so focused on mechanics in so many of his movies, but here it really counts because, like, seeing this ship dock and seeing how majestic it is and how risky it all seems, it's it's <laughs> and something else I gleaned from my conversation with Mister Kiyosi. I think we've come across oh my. of the two things that I had eight seconds to talk to and talk with him about was, uh, you know, he plays one of the scientists on the ship, and he said that everything you see in the movie, including Tars. Uh, it was Tars, Tars is the, uh, the, robot. the robot robot companion they have who looks like he's, he's no case a rectangle but Tars is a good guy uh, but <laughs> it was all it was all practical it was all there in front of him there was nothing left to the imagination really um, and and that is just a testament to the I, I think sometimes Christopher Nolan's dedication to the practical elements of these things backfires I think it's why The Dark Knight Rises feels so plastic and like, rinky dinky but here it, it works very well um, the movie, as we might all be able to agree, is not so elegant with how it ultimately wants to serve its themes in the third act. Um, and there are a few forehead slapping moments and decisions. But all told, I, I thought, you know, this is so far and away better than any other blockbuster that came out this year. I mean, it's like not even they're Godzilla? not even the same. How dare you? I mean, Godzilla is is clearly you know my second favorite but uh it, it's like they're not even the same medium it's it, it to see a movie that with this scale and this sweep um that is so not intelligent not just intelligent in its in its uh themes and, and narrative and whatnot but it, it just in its craft and its and its approach to it i mean it, it's this is a this is what blockbuster cinema should be like and it's really a shame that I don't love Interstellar that much. Like I, I think it's a very, very, very good movie, but uh, it is ultimately troubling to me more than anything else. The margin by which this is the best blockbuster of the year. It's, for me. it's interesting um, to hear you say that it, it felt like a different medium because I mean, we did see it on film and in a way it felt <laughs> that way. It's just like everything becomes so much more real with the, just a dash of true film grain 70 from its millimeter film. Yeah. Just from like, n- none of it right. seems like CG, even when they're on this giant water planet, like that really terrified me. I had fl- actually I had flashbacks to the impossible, which gave me flashbacks to real life events. Um, zing. But and by having it on film, yeah, all these, all, the spaceship that they're living in and the exteriors that are obviously fabricated through CGI, that feels more real. And then flashing back and forth between earth at points, you know, as you mentioned, David, this movie kind of spirals out of control for me narratively, um, as we go back to Earth more and more over the uh, towards the second half of the film, and as it kind of logically wraps itself up, which is unfortunate, and we'll probably get into that a little more when we can speak freely about spoilers. 
Um, but even going back to Earth, I think, is still really important. And seeing it in 70 millimeters, seeing like crops burn and this kind of real world dystopia that they live in um, mm-hmm. and and or being a great family in the beginning. Like I've, I've heard people knock the first act of Interstellar for being really exposition heavy. And I don't I don't feel that way. <laughs> well, at there's all. a lot of exposition. I mean, there's a lot of like subtle stuff that I just re- found really fascinating, like setting well, up this dystopia they, without being, you know, without having a, a cryon. Uh, in the year 2020, what, yeah. whatever. There's no, there's no. Fortunately, there's no Ellen Page character whose sole purpose is to deliver exposition. But there is a very silly scene in the schoolhouse. It's like the third scene in the film. Where I like it. They try to couch all of the world building in, in oh, bits I like of dialogue. That scene, actually. Yeah, uh, like kids can't fine. go to college. I mean, it's it's. But there's also there's there are wonderful sequences in that first hour. I think of a sequence where they're chasing like this this. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. I I feel like that's a great family moment, but also that is shot in IMAX film and looks – it's a great action beat. Um, But but it still plays the character and it still plays to the dystopian world and and it's kind of expository. It's kind of – but that's – I mean this is more me getting into my problems. But that moment specific really points out to me all the ways in which people act like people never would for the sake of getting a beautiful moment or some kind of exposition along those ways. There's this ongoing problem especially – getting into the end of the movie where people act in ways that create really gorgeous moments that make absolutely no sense. And not from like a scientific perspective, just from like a what would a person do in this situation. And the movie is ostensibly so much about like what humans want and how like human desire trumps science in some cases. And I just kept feeling like Christopher Nolan had never met an actual human being in his life, which really sours a lot of these gorgeous moments for me. Wow. Well, I'll be curious for the for the spoiler section because I'm not sure off the top of my head what moments you mean. Yeah. Okay. Well, what what about that drone scene? Because that's early on. I mean, this that is drone, the family. That drone scene, I just trailers. like he, he he starts driving over a ton of crops to chase on a drone that we have don't really understand what it is or why he's going for it or why he's like risking the health of his truck. Well, you learn. Well, that's yeah, you learn. You. I think it's intriguing but, to, and but it's also I was I love the idea that this drone was treated like wildlife yeah. and was really the rogue. closest They're thing. I mean, they treat it as a living creature and, and, and sort of this bird and it's the closest thing that they have <laughs> to uh, something like that. I thought that that much more effectively than the scene in the school let me know what the state of things was like in this movie's conception of Earth. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting to me, but it just didn't... And what I learned from that, I agree with, but it didn't feel like something that those people would do. Well, you you didn't you didn't buy this point. family. I think what you, I imagine no, I your frustrations are would be like the scene where Matthew McConaughey as Cooper, the the patriarch here, leaves his daughter, Mackenzie Foy of the Twilight series. And no, you, that scene that, that scene made perfect sense. Oh. I mean, the scene I'm, I mean, I can say without spoilers, the scene I'm mostly referring to late in the film is the crop burning scene that we've seen in a lot of the trailers and I can right, get but, into the logic of that later. Yeah, I thought that made I mean, I I think that made enough sense to me. I just thought that I can completely understand the complaint with it because I just don't think that it was um, logic or not. I don't think it was sufficiently set up and I don't think it was integral to the narrative in a way. It felt like an excuse to do the sort of cross-cutting that he likes to do rather than something that was absolutely integral to the story as it was in Inception or something like that. I felt like that kept happening to me, including in that drone scene where it was like people acting in ways that set up something really gorgeous and really effective and that did world building but that didn't tell me much more about how these people were living or what I should expect out of these characters like I think Matthew McConaughey is really good in the movie but what I know about him as a character is pretty limited 
Well, yeah, the, his almost his entire backstory is the first shot of a movie, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. He used to work for NASA. He didn't anymore. He really wants to go back to space and be a hero, and he does it. That's pretty much it. For some reason, his <laughs> how he gets Wait, roped so you, into this so whole thing doesn't really not, make a lot of so sense. So him leaving his daughter didn't feel right to you. I was less emotional about that than what comes after and when science and when see I have a real fear of time <laughs> okay oh so this movie is preying on everything that I'm like fascinated by and scared of and just like the passing of time and I don't think that technology has existed for us to make a movie like Interstellar where we could finally have relativity and time be as scary as it could be in the like the vastness of space and the emptiness and and feeling small in the world and feeling time pass so rapidly. I mean, my favorite scene in the movie is when they go to the water planet and they come back and like time has passed rapidly because uh, of pollution. Oh, I was I, I wasn't sure if we were allowed to speak to that. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I ahead, think sure. in a, in a movie <laughs> that in a movie that I think is. Uh, is is uneven for Christopher Nolan. I mean, I think you know, I think all of the movies that he's made away from the Batman movies are a lot more interesting than those. But I think in that category, this is still a really uneven film. But its highs, and I think that I'm speaking explicitly to the scene that Patches just mentioned, are as high as anything he's ever yeah, made. I that's think a, that scene, scene is is really phenomenal, and you can you can feel it as sort of the germ of the idea for this movie i mean i know that it was a spielberg project and yada 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 but obviously it took on a life of its own when uh christopher nolan joined jonathan in in making it and uh i I really feel like that was the the beating heart of of the movie that he knew that he could sort of build something around and i think to a certain extent that that's effective it's just the the light from that scene and everything it represents gets a little bit dimmer in the farthest reaches yeah no, I would agree. Um, but I do like that this movie doesn't really have a villain per se. Like every, it's it's a it's a moral play, right? Everyone has yeah. their own approach to how to deal with dystopia and how to deal with the end of humankind and what it means. Like, what's the mission and how well, kind of science what, and and faith what in humanity film does have a villain besides uh, and again without the Batman movies. Because okay, well the Batman's are half of the movies he's made. <laughs> well, it, I mean, Insomnia has a villain. Memento has a villain. No, it doesn't. Memento, I mean, the hero Insomnia, is the, villain. Uh, the hero is usually <laughs> the, the villain. Yeah, but that's I, true. You know, but Insomnia in, uh, also has a pretty clear villain. Yeah, well, Insomnia is about a serial killer, so it is a little bit of a, <laughs> an issue there. Yeah, but I would say this more. This movie more than the rest of his films seemed to be <laughs> I, to I have don't clearer agree morals with I butting heads. But I, I agree with what I agree with the uh, gestalt of what Patches is saying for sure. Um, I want to. I feel like we should go ahead and jump into spoilers. Yeah, now. since I since I apparently broke open, space. I passed the event horizon of spoilers <laughs> with the, that comment. So I apologize if that was a major, but it doesn't feel like it because there's a, a like two movies left after I know, the moment I so described. Much, there's so much that goes on, and I think I've seen that in the trailer anyway. Um, and everybody knows that Jessica Chastain plays the older version of the daughter. So anyway, uh, spoilers from here on out. If you haven't seen Interstellar again, you really owe it to yourself to see it knowing probably less than we've already There's discussed. lots to talk uh, about. Anyway, lots to talk about. Join us after you've seen it. So who was totally not surprised that Christopher Nolan's version of what a black hole looks like was a very neatly organized library. <laughs> With with structured like polygonal 
It's it yeah, felt like, like it felt very inception. Like right angles. What was funny about so Big Hero Six has almost nothing to do with Interstellar, but there's also a scene where they go through a portal into this portal into this nether realm, and it's beautiful and purple and swirly, yeah, like and kind of how I something. imagine space. And Christopher Nolan's version is like right angles and organized like a library. I guess it would be if you were trying to organize all of time, space time. Then perhaps if if it was a human construct in the future, it would. It's be like funny that. how that turned out because. You know the the I've seen enough Nolan movies to know that uh, a number of things about Interstellar from really the moment it began. Uh, but when the very first shot of the movie is, uh, I can't remember if it's actually if it precedes the interviews that they have or if it's immediately afterwards. But they're one of the opening shots at least is of the spaceship on uh, her dresser, her desk, That's or the library, first, or whatever. No, I think That's, the first shot is. Him, him flying in the, in the jet and flying, right? no no you're right the title card comes over this very close up pan of <laughs> yeah, the bookshelf right and there's I was three like beginnings to a movie it's covered in dust uh-huh. it's covered well, in dust yeah exactly and I was like I, I that I just uh, no thinking of the spinning top at the end of Inception there's, there's just no way in the Christopher Nolan movie thinking of the hats in the Prestige <laughs> that that this is not a crucial detail yeah. <laughs> and and so well it becomes pretty clear uh, I mean I saw what was coming the minute, the minute there's a go. About when they say a there's a ghost, that's because a clear you, giveaway. You know it's a time. Look, you know this it's a movie that whole, involves space time. Yes, like, exactly. This is what my whole review was predicated upon: was that the idea that there would never be ghosts in the true sense of the word, or aliens, or no, any of Nolan this would mystic never, shit yeah. in a Christopher Nolan movie. It's all going to be. And people were like, "Oh, how can you spoil that?" And I'm like, "You're excited about this because it's a Christopher Nolan movie, but you're acting as if you've never seen right. a Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> yeah. right. Like this is this. It was just never, ever, ever going to be that way. There was going to be a rational within the context of this film's world explanation for these things that was going on, and that explanation was going to be the big revelation at the end of the film that yeah. bridged everything. Well, together. I feel you know my frustrations with Interstellar come from. I wish it was simpler. Like I wish it could telegraph that and then really pay it off with momentous vision. Like it, that could be more linear in a way because there's just so much to cover and so much world to enjoy. But by jumping to all these three planets and then having this kind of like spiraling out of control, I just the the resolution him getting like Morse code from TARS after TARS fell through the black hole, which he have somehow communicated with the future us and like tapping it through a gravity pocket. I'm just like, all of this is wrapped <laughs> up so logically it, it, yeah. it hurts the brain and it undercuts the real emotional value. Of this whole, the father daughter story gets very murky. Oddly enough, when we incorporate more of Murph, older Murph into it. Uh, yeah. The the scene where oh, he's watching the videos from Earth is so powerful and somehow when he goes through a black hole and starts communicating to her it, it really loses a lot of energy for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the black hole scene is just poorly handled. I think that the ideas expressed in it are absolutely inextricable from the story that Nolan was interested in Definitely. telling. I just, I just don't think that having it be a giant space library is as effective as the bedroom at the end of Jupiter, uh, you know, right. in, in 2001. Um, I think that, you know, that, that idea or, or, or the house in the middle of the lake in Solaris. I think seeing these domestic settings, the furthest reaches of the known universe, uh, yeah, or, even or contact really the knew to rip that off. Of the unknown universe is, yeah, contact, you know, does a similar thing um, is, is interesting, but it, 
you know, it's it's just yeah, that you, my a tourist love for for Nolan's movies comes with its downside as well. And this is uh, this is the mall in Limbo and building a life together shit. It's all the same. But see, I, um, I mean, the stuff in Limbo with I mean, Inception, I thought made sense because it felt like a part of a whole with. What of we course, have been no. Inception I mean, is a better movie. I, I definitely. Better. All right, all right. I'm glad that we can all. I feel like. Oh I've no, seen there's. The I, I you know, and that's part of my misgiving about. Uh, as I was saying earlier about Interstellar being so clearly in a class of its own in these movies is that I don't even love it that much. Like I think right. it's, yeah. I think it's very, very good, but it just, it ex- Christopher Nolan has made a career of ruthlessly exposing the creative poverty of mainstream filmmaking. Uh, and this movie is just another example of that. And I think, uh, I, the highs are out of, the, out of this world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks, but, Yikes. yeah, uh, no, but it's, it's, it's got huge, huge problems and that's, that's why when I when people said to me like oh should I see it and and I knew that they weren't going to go see it in a true IMAX format I was surprised to find myself I, hesitating as to whether or not I should recommend they, they go see it at I all. I do think we should dig into some of the performances and the summer smaller scale stuff here because there's not a whole lot of action in Interstellar and honestly no. there's not a whole lot of like flying through space and putting the computer graphics on a pedestal moments I, even thinking about They're going so into the effective. to the wormhole. Going into the wormhole is mostly an interior spaceship shot of them like touching globules of gravity or something. But there's, there's not a, a real lot of sense. Yeah, this is certainly not even like Willy Wonka going through the magic tunnel kind of crazy. But there's <laughs> such a palpable sense of of going into the unknown, of not knowing what's going to happen next. Like I was, and part of what made that stuff in the library so disappointing is that I was completely on the edge of my seat and exhilarated when he fell into the black hole and i just couldn't i was so excited to find out what happened next uh and and what this was going like what we were going to see you know behind the curtain and even if i was dissatisfied with what that was uh it is a rare filmmaker who can conjure even that feeling of excitement and i think in those few shots we do see of them floating by saturn or you know going by a black hole or whatnot uh because the mechanics are so well established uh, and because there that sense of, of uh, curiosity about the unknown is so strong, I think it all works so well. For me, the bits that didn't work well on a practical level were, were the stuff on the ice planet. The water planet is fantastic. Uh, but See, I like the, the ice Damon planet. Stuff. We have a lot of oh, yeah, colleagues Damon. Ding, ding, ding. who don't That's like we the Matt Damon stuff in this movie. Uh, but this is a spoiler section. Right? Yeah, I know. This I, know. Is, I just think that out. was one of the thing, big things we're dancing around. Yeah, we can't talk about Damon. Damon. What did you think of Matt Damon? Matt Damon's in this movie, you guys. Um, I think it's distracting that he's in it. I don't really understand why he is. I like Matt Damon a lot. I thought he. I thought it was because he he has to be super nice. I thought. I thought he did a really good job of being someone who you see and want to trust, and then immediately figure out he's got something else going on. Um, He's really good at playing someone who is kind of creepy which is funny because he's such a like likable celebrity president. I guess that was the Robin Williams matches. Some silly. But what's really I like it. But what really hurts me about that whole sequence is uh, and I understand that as Patches was saying earlier about there not being a villain, you know, that he is not presented as a bad person. He's just uh, He wants to complete the mission. He is yeah, and he has self-interest. He doesn't have anyone to to save really in the way that uh, Cooper has Murph, but his humanity. that whole spiel where he's laying out his his place on the moral spectrum as they walk towards their inevitable fight—it's just oh, so obvious what's going. I on. I like it. I like its faux Shakespearean quality, and I also like them fighting as the like 
disgusting humans they are. You know, we finally get to a new planet and they cut to this giant wide shot and like, look at this incredible place that we've made it to as people. And all we can do is fucking fight each other. It's, I mean, we need that moment. It's so barbaric. It's so wonderful. Yeah. But just like, it's so whole, us. I mean, this is again, like <laughs> the mechanics so of it. Like he like wanders off with McConaughey for no reason. Like he's gone so far with him and then like waits for so long to tell him his secret that like you kind of knew was there already. Cause fuck, this place looks like not like somewhere anyone could live. It, I don't know, just like the the way that that pans out again in a movie that's supposedly about like what humans inherently need and what we do didn't make any sense. Why we we lie and we cheat and we lead people to their demise because we're yeah, but dramatic. like to walk like miles and miles for no good reason to lead them to their demise. It was just stuff like, I mean, it seems nitpicky, but it just felt also he had to walk further away because he was going to let the one ship explode. Yeah, but they walked like so far. Well, anyway, you know, in like, that episode of Serial where she's like, why would you walk that far to go pee in the woods? And then she was like, oh, that's why, because it makes sense. You don't know that ice planet. No. I don't know that ice you planet. You don't. Serial. You got you. Um, <laughs> that and like so the other nitpicky thing <laughs> bugged me and then I think bugged a lot of more people too. Like everything that Michael Caine does. And Michael Caine. the way he continually quotes. Is it Dylan Thomas? That, that poem? Yes. Yeah, but, but you. What, Who let I, that happen? Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, nothing Michael Caine ever does is wrong. <laughs> so I, I, Michael Caine totally, wants to recite a Dilettas poem. I think it's He's totally a character on his deathbed nope. who then stops Not to a quote a poem and then closes his eyes and dies. Don't no, care. No, no. Is it Michael Caine? Answer <laughs> yes on the flow chart. Excuse. He's the he's no. the Kip Thorne stand-in. He can do it every once. Kip I Thorne's like been working on this movie lot. forever. Someone he did not deserve that dialogue, and he didn't. I mean, he just. He's an important part of the movie, and then he's just kind of there. There's all this stuff with the Jessica Chastain plot, especially in Porto for Grace, where you get the feeling there was more to that story. Like, there's but the I big moment where she throws the papers over the ledge and screams, and she's like, it's a thing. And you're like, oh. I don't understand I what people's problem is with that. Can you, can you expand yeah, that on that? It makes perfect sense within the context of the movie. She's saying, you know, they, she finds out the... She cracks gravity. And yeah, she but it's it. like an in-joke to something that we didn't see. No, it is How is it an it's, in-joke? What's the in-joke? She made a discovery, so she says Eureka yeah. because she's a scientist who respects history. And then she history. tells him, like, this is a... It's like you're supposed to have any knowledge about the people who she's working with or what her life at this place has been. And then she kisses to her grace as if we're supposed to know anything oh, well, about that guy. But I love all that. I love that, like, the movie can be lived in without showing you everything what's what no, the hell it doesn't feel but there's will... stuff that happens on the ship like there's you know the relationship between anne hathaway and david gayasi i don't think is ever said out loud but you get this sense of intimacy and friendship between them that i think is really nicely not said out loud i don't get that from the jessica chess i will say though that uh and i think i said this to patches after the movie that the the length of the film and it's it's nolan's longest film by like a minute at 169 minutes i think uh, is actually crucial, and I think the movie suffers. Even if the, each minute is not used to its full potential, I think in a movie about the passage of time that really has to make it, uh, you have, it has to make the audience feel that all this time has passed, that that he has been away from his daughter for, uh, and obviously you can't take us away from her uh, for 20-some-odd years, but they can, via relative time, uh, two hours in uh, us with our butts in the seats watching this movie can translate into uh, an entire lifetime of them as father and daughter. And I think that you need you need that scale and scope of, of just the sheer running time of the movie for yeah. that to work. And so I applaud the film for being that long, even though I don't necessarily think that it's long in the way that it should be. It, it, it almost should be longer. Like there's, yeah. there's a lot oh, yeah. of elements that you kind of feel like deserve more time. But then again, maybe we just get more space library. So 
<laughs> we don't necessarily actually want it that much longer. Yeah, I feel um, like I, I like the intention of all the Jessica Chastain stuff. It just feels maybe like I'm seeing the wrong moments from her life at certain points. But I hmm. do also really appreciate what they're doing with Casey Affleck as the older son. And having this, I was telling Dave, David thought I was crazy because I was going into this whole um, kind of science. science. Yeah, yes. I do think there's like I think a climate change. Crazy too. Well, I mean, I can understand people thinking that because I have was, a lot of what crazy were you going on about? Just that, that Casey Affleck was kind of a climate change denier stand in. I know. Oh, yeah. No, no I, I don't know. I know. I understand. About. But <laughs> I, I, I still believe in my crazy self because I don't know. There, there's an element of people, you know, ignoring science. His whole thing is that one of, one of his sons died and his other one is on the way out and his wife is dying like they can't eat corn anymore and all he wants to do is live in his country and he and be, oh, you know what? and be you, part you of the land and and this I like, forgot about the dying you know what it, it all the science maybe... is telling him to leave and his sister has to burn the field to get him to go <laughs> i don't understand why people are confused yeah, that by that that's true it's just the, the fact that she burns it like it just seems like there's a lot of other ways to get someone out of the house than burning the field just because it looks cool they're but they're burning the field so they have nothing to eat right it's the only way to get them out <sighs> You have to burn the corn. It's all about the corn. But like, is in a cross cutting scene where Matthew McConaughey is doing something that's very purposeful and it's very understandable, and she's kind of like doing this very big grand gesture. They don't they don't go together. I think that. Well, I also like that the scientists are kind of wrong. Like it seems extreme to burn someone's crops down, your brother's crops, because you're a scientist and you know. Like she is kind of an asshole for doing that. All the scientists are. I mean, we we are not supposed to be cool with Michael Caine in this movie and keeping secrets and all this evil scientist stuff. Like, no, everyone is to blame uh, for our problems and uh, scientists don't get off easy despite climate change deniers being chastised. Jessica yeah. chastised. Jessica chastised. <laughs> um, I feel like we should probably wrap up the conversation. Um, mm. By talking about TARS or? Oh my God. And his we amazing spiral uh, just, rescue scene. We can probably just wrap it up wholesale although i think patches and i would be remiss if not giving a special shout out to hans zimmer who yeah. delivers what might be his best score ever it's in really this movie. good it's not um, as i said in the beginning it is not the inception brahm it's much more interesting than that no it's yeah, it's medieval so on organ music heavenly yeah um also i think I don't know if I'd go quite as far as David as to say only seen an IMAX or not at all, but it does remind me of Gravity in a way where it kind of creates this phenomenal experience that you don't necessarily even care if it holds together outside of a theater, but it really, really should be seen in oh, a theater. Oh, th uh, this is what I want to wrap up on. People have been complaining out of screenings that the IMAX sound design has been muffled and hard to hear or that even that the th IMAX versus 35 cutting back and forth doesn't look as good. Did you guys have any technical issues seeing this I movie? I felt like or? the dialogue was muddled in a couple scenes. There are some scenes on the uh, spaceship where I had a well, hard time. Well, you didn't see it in IMAX. I did see it in IMAX. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, I thought you, I thought you did. No, I um, did. Uh, no, I had no issues. And I've also heard uh, that whatever issues there may have been uh, were apparently resolved. At least that they were at the Chinese theater in uh, at the Graupen, whatever the fuck it's called now, in Los Angeles. And I assume if they were able to find it, uh, like at the end of War of the Worlds, the cure spread. And <laughs> so people should but not no, be scared not, of that. Is not a legitimate. I, I didn't as far have, as I'm concerned. I didn't have a problem. Yeah, no one would no, make a statement. Although it's definitely not a reason not to. And see oh that. no, you can't hear the dialogue in a Christopher Nolan movie. You'll be okay. Come on, <laughs> burn. 
You've been the biggest offender of this movie. I, now you're I know, but they're like, like, the fire rise. Like, trust me. You're, you're, you're I'm vain. Yeah. yeah, no one wears a mask the whole time, so it's a lot better off than last time. Tars. Tars rules. Before we pick uh, answers to this week's lightning round question, uh, we all saw Big Hero 6, which is hilarious because I would never would have thought David also would have seen this uh, animated movie. Wow, my choice. Is there anything to talk about in this movie other than the fact that the robot is really cute? Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a co-production between... Barely. Right, I, I mean, it's, a, it's not... It's, not it's really a Walt Disney picture adapted from a Marvel a, comic. Right, but it, what I found so interesting about it is whether or not Marvel had any creative involvement, uh, the movie feels... Like a perfect balance between Disney animation they movies and Marvel stuff. It 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 feels like a Marvel movie down to the ending with a portal <laughs> falling on yep. buildings and a crowded popular. And it's uh, such yeah, a Marvel it's super movie. fucking boring as a result of that because Marvel movies are all the same. Uh, but it's still very cute and it's a completely passable ninety five minutes. And the short before it is adorable. Uh, it's it's like it's the Avengers. For anyone thought the Avengers is too edgy. It's like it's so. like the you know how there's like the baby Ferris wheel at the fair and then the grown up Ferris wheel. It's like the baby Avengers. It is like that. But this movie was infuriating to me. The more yeah. I think about it, the more distance I have from it, the more like oh, yeah? angry I get about this no, but stupid I really movie. The Asian American Hoppa, like oh, the, the fact that the main character is a Hoppa. This is what Why? this is where the fire rises. Um, Why? How could how could this how could representation of an underserved because it's not uh, representation. It's 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 appropriation without context or without culture no, or without context the fact that there's a lack of context is exactly what makes it progressive that's just the kid just happens to be like it's yes, progressive it helps that the world in, is informed it's progressive by, you know, background like art Akihabara. it's not progressive in terms of the but cultural not, that's, magnitude of these so, characters they're not coming from any place where these two cultures have seemed to mix in any sort of way it's just like shit. oh that's cool America. all these anime are all I'm anime All American. All cultures are, are melted together in America, and I think the fact that they can have a uh, I like a the idea lead character without bending over backwards to justify that because they assume that it doesn't need a justification. I'm not saying it needs justification for the so, designs. You're just a racist. I'm just curious. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. I just I just want to know like so. How are these? How have these two worlds merged into one? Like, what is the culture of this have world seen, like? Everyone is so stale. Everyone. Yeah, people in Go our world come from different cultures. Jacking off for Pacific Rim and kaijus. And uh, yeah, you'll see that Japanese culture has you know made some That's absolutely not what I'm arguing here. I'm, I, I totally agree with you that we have this culture mesh, cultural meshing here in America. And, and that shades people. What their interests are and where they've come from changes them as people. The characters in... Big Hero Six, the one kid, Hero. His name is Hero. Jesus, um, that's yeah. a Japanese. Name. I understand, yeah, but, but come the on. The movie is called Big Hero. Come Six. on, I know. And it's like the guy on Heroes but being they named are spelled Hero. Differently. Remember that? I understand, yes. but let's come on. Uh, that's not my point. He he really has no identity. He has no backstory. He is not a person. He is 
just this theme of a kid. Uh, you're the smartest kid in the room, and you can be even smarter if you want to. And he and all the other characters are so stock. They just come from nowhere, and yet they live in the most vivid place on Earth. And, and that I find infuriating, that these characters cannot be people. They can only be extensions of theme and uh, this uplifting, this saccharine theme once well, again and i, I understand possibly agree more with you about that i just don't see it now necessarily has anything to do with uh, the racial element it's of not it. about i'm not talking about race i'm not, talking about culture uh, here okay and you can't okay. mix the well, two well well uh, that's a loaded a loaded conversation for another time but i think that not unlike the book of life which um you know finally allowed uh, Latino kids to have some sort of representation in kids' movies. I think that the idea that a uh, and you don't think yeah, that that and you don't think Bull of Life anywhere. you don't think Book of Life is like overflowing with the cultural identity that it's using. It's not just taking iconography; it's actually right. well, immersing itself a lot in more, a world. It's a lot more indebted to. It's a lot more predicated upon Mexican culture. And Pick Hero Six is just a really boring movie. Like the plot, I agree. I agree and yet, for the and yet. It's actually really good because Baymax is so freaking adorable. He's an animator's dream to have this like inarticulate character who has to like frump around. He's inflatable. He's so perfect. Uh, and <laughs> CG animation. Teach millions yeah, of children what it's like to be drunk. What the best yeah. part, Katie and I were at the screening together and the, the first time Baymax comes out of his inflatable pod or whatever, a kid in the back of the theater yells, Baymax! The kids already knew who Baymax was. That is how powerful marketing is in 2014. These kids already knew. It's incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. That's how that's how Disney rolls. That's it's wise business, I suppose. I I gotta say, the robot in Big Hero Six is cuter than the robot in Interstellar. I would give Tars a hug. Interstellar is not that cute. Patches was like high when we were watching them. (laughs) I laughing hysterically. The robot is like Tars is such a genius thing because it just doesn't look like anything in any other movie. And just to see his appendages move and like turn into a spiral, he turned like an asterisk to save. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway has now been saved by this like three a fork, a robotic fork. It's incredible. It made me. And it made me so happy. The guy who played her dad and Rachel getting married. Oh yeah, that's true. There you go. It's huh. a backdoor Rachel getting married. Who sounds people. uncannily like Matt Damon? That's true. For a while, okay, I thought that wait, was where he's going. Spoilers for Interstellar in our post review segment. Come on, guys. <laughs> oh, I wait, I thought from beyond. Once the gong sounds, sounds like Matt Damon is a spoiler. It's only a spoiler because you said so. Patches, pick a lightning round answer for this one. Wait, hold on. What? Uh, there's a lot of stuff opening oh this weekend. The Better Angels, yeah. your favorite film of the... No, the- I did want to give a quick shout out to a film that I, I don't know where it's opening beyond New York, but Robert Greene's Actress, which is Have you uh, seen fascinating. it? I, I saw it months and months ago oh. at, uh, what was it, uh, New Directors, New Films, I think? Or no, it was uh, Art of the Real. Yeah, I think it's only playing um, in New York, so... Uh, well, if Road trip. I think it will also be on VOD. Perhaps anyway, seek it out. It's it's. Uh, I wouldn't even know how to begin to describe it. But it's essentially you know the the most reductive but efficient way of doing so. Would say it's a hybrid, but it's it's essentially this uh, documentary filmmaker who has made films that challenge and blur the divide between fiction and reality. Before with Fake It So Real and Kitty with an Eye, uh, live next to this actress Brandy Burr who is on The Wire. 
and begins to make a film about her home life and career as they begin to sort of dissolve and dissolve into one another. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, it's called Actress. I believe it will be on iTunes when by the time you hear this. Uh, if not, it's definitely playing in theaters in New York. Okay, now, Patches, pick a line your own answer. Okay. We shouldn't talk about the theory of everything. That's like a whole nother can of worms. Is that opening this week? In limited. Apparently. We'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. And Jezebel, if you like Nicholas Sparks' uh, ghost movies. Anyway, I am going to pick uh, at Harven, Harvenly. It's like heavenly, but Har. Um, who said, Ernest Borgnine, no answer, no explanation whatsoever for why <laughs> Ernest Borgnine should be the person to join you on a space trip. Um, I just think that's fa- I, that's fabulous. Why not? Um, unless there is a reference there that I don't understand, in which case Ernest Borgnine can tell me about it as we sail into the deep beyond. David? Uh, I'm going to go with Connor Griffin. We actually had to fight over this one, Katie and I, but, uh, at C. Gornio, who says, Jared Leto, because it would only take 30 seconds to Mars. Ha, 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 ha. This is the smartest. True. This is the smartest idea I've heard. That's, uh, there you go. From anybody. Um, I'm going with Trigus, who says, Tom Hanks, dude knows his space. He also knows how to survive by himself for a while, and I feel like he'd also tell really good stories. I feel like everyone is really underestimating the value of a good raconteur to have it with you in space. Yeah, but everyone hated his New Yorker short story. What? I don't remember his New Yorker short story. He ju- it just Hanks? happened. Like two weeks ago, he wrote this short story for the New Yorker. Now he wants to publish a short story book. So instead of oh, being no. like the space cadet who produced what From the Earth to the Moon, he's now a short story writer, and he's going to bring his Hanks writer app and tippity tap type type up those stories with you all. But what if, Wait, was the short story about space? I think it was actually. But what if he just told me stories about Gary Sinise instead? You'd probably type them up on his type, his Hanks writer typey Maybe tap tap. In app. space, you can't hear typewriters. Scream. I'm gonna guess that. I'm gonna guess that. Zero. Pray, pray for you. All right. Um, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week to talk about, I guess, some of the movies we declined to talk about this week. It's a good season. There's a lot coming out. Uh, maybe we won't fight about Japanese culture next week. Uh, <laughs> I love Japanese culture. Oh, God. People are going to accuse you of uh, fetishizing Japanese culture now. I'm going to change uh, my Twitter avatar to an anime avatar. Oh, Jesus. Mm. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Oh, me. I am Matt Patches. I write all across the internet, and I try and put everything on mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And I do another podcast about a television show called The Legend of Korra, which nails the merging of cultures. Get it right, Big Hero 6. Uh, You should listen to that. It's called Republic City Dispatch. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. You can also find my writing at The Dissolve. Uh, the playlist, the what else? The AV Club, uh, other places, uh, complex. Find my review of Interstellar on Little White Lies. It's very long. Get really deep into it if you were intrigued by our discussion earlier, or even if you're not. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K A T E Y R I C H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>